Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. And as we always do on Monday morning, we'll be talking about current global events. We'll visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Our topic, Will Rogers, uh, Humor and Wisdom. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Father the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is August the 30th, and on this day in 1776, General George Washington gave the New York Convention three reasons for the American retreat from Long Island. That same day, he rejected British General William Howe's second letter of reconciliation. Uh, with Howe and a superior British force having re- recently landed at Long Island, they handed the Continentals a humiliating defeat at the Battle of Brooklyn Heights on August the 27th. Washington gave these reasons for his uh, decision for retreat. The need for, to reunite his forces, the extreme fatigue of his soldiers, and the lack of proper shelter from the weather. For his part, how it attempted to reconcile with the uh, Patriots before blood would spilled, but had been rejected by Washington because he had failed to use General Washington's title general when addressing the letter. Even after beating the Continentals at Brooklyn Heights, Howe looked for a peaceful resolution, allowing Washington and his army to escape by boat to Manhattan and, uh, and sending yet another letter to Washington through American General John Sullivan. Washington refused to accept the missive, but gave Sullivan permission to deliver it to Congress in Philadelphia. On August the 11th, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and other congressional representatives accepted Howe's offer and reopened talks on Staten Island. Negotiations fell through when uh, British refused to accept American independence as a condition for peace. The British captured New York City on September the 15th and it would remain in British hands until the end of the war. I think the story just really underscores how really dire the circumstances were for the Continental uh, revolutionaries. Uh, George Washington, his, they were really under, in bad shape and ended up winning by miracle just and by resolve. Uh, the Revolutionary War. It's just unbelievable. The, uh, the great book, The Indispensables by Patrick O'Donnell, outlines some of these feats and tells the story of what happened on Brooklyn Heights. The, Brooklyn, the Indispensables by Pac- Patrick O'Donnell. Well, we have 13 fallen soldiers who made the ultimate sacrifice in, in Kabul last week, and we keep our, their families in our prayers. They deserve truly better leadership. So sad. Tucker Carlson had one of the fathers on who received the bad news that his son had been killed in Afghanistan. It was a very touching and, and really created the humanity of the situation there in uh, Kabul. So sad that uh, these families suffered those losses. They deserve better leadership. On Friday's broadcast of uh, Fox News Radio's Fox Across America, Representative Byron Donalds, our representative, blamed the attack on the Kabul airport on President Joe Biden's desire for a photo op on September the 11th. Donald said, let's be very clear on this. There's no way that Donald Trump would have allowed this to happen over the last month to occur under his watch. Because when the Taliban was violating portions of that agreement that they made, then the Trump administration responded in kind and did not just continue down the agreement as if the Taliban was doing everything they said they were going to do. They held the Taliban accountable at every step of the way Joe Biden did not. Joe Biden said, oh, look, I'll just move the deadline down a little bit, and I'm going to get get out while the getting's good. Because I want a photo op for September 11th, and that's the reality, that's the truth, and now we have dead servicemen as a result. Byron Donalds is absolutely correct about that. By the way, Joe Biden appeared to fall asleep while meeting with the Israeli prime minister. I'm not kidding. I'm I'm not making this up. Biden head droops. I saw a video of it. And his eyes were closed for a full 30 seconds 
to his credit, the prime minister just went on as if nothing was going on. He continued to speak in spite of old Joe just nodding off. Also, he decided to go to Dover to meet the fallen soldiers killed last week in Afghanistan. As the caskets were being removed, he actually checked his watch for the time. My goodness, what an act of disrespect. He couldn't just sit there and salute. Was, it, was he missing his nap time? I just don't know. But again, Joe Biden, certainly not measuring up to that of being a leader. Mike Lindell should send him a pillow So for nap time. Well, Hurricane Ida, making landfall at a fierce Category 4 storm, plowed into Louisiana from the Gulf of Mexico on Sunday, lashing the coast with 152-mile-an-hour winds, torrential downpours, and pounding surf that submerged most of the shoreline under several feet of water. As of New Orleans, Louisiana's most populous city had power knocked out due to catastrophic transmission damage, the local utility reported, hours after flash flood warnings were posted. 16 years to the day after Karina, Katrina struck the Gulf Coast, Ida slammed ashore around noontime at Port Fortune, uh, Louisiana, a hub of the Gulf's offshore energy industry, blasting the coast with Hurricane force winds extending 50 miles out of the eye of the storm. Residents of the most vulnerable areas were ordered to evacuate days in advance, but those riding out the storm in their homes in New Orleans, less than 100 miles inland to the north, braced for the toughest test yet of major upgrades to the levee system constructed following uh, devastating floods in 2005 from Katrina. Power outages were widespread in the first hours of the storm, with more than 750,000 Louisiana homes and businesses losing electricity by Sunday night, according to the uh, Energy Louisiana, the state utility. Inundation from Ida storm surge, high surf driven by the hurricane winds, was reported to exceed six feet along parts of the coast. Video posted on uh, social media showed storm surge Flooding had transformed sections of Highway 90 along the Louisiana-Mississippi coast in a choppy river. Offshore energy operations in the region were at a virtual standstill. Just an awful, just uh, devastating results in Louisiana. And the storm just hung there for hours. It arrived, at, I think, at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was still uh, circulating severe winds uh, in that area uh, hours later, five, six, seven hours later. So we've done now. It's now a tropical storm, but uh, we don't know the results. We don't know how many people were killed or damaged. Or uh, I know the uh, damage is estimated to be over $220 billion. But that said, because uh, all communications were down and it was just unsafe to go out, we don't know the effect of this uh, fully, and we'll probably find out more today. Well, a sitting Marine battalion commander was fired Friday after he slapped and slammed the ineptitude of the U.S. military leadership over the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, saying he was willing to risk losing his 17-year career and future retirement pension in order to demand accountability from top military brass. This guy is a, has got tremendous courage. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Stuart Scheller said in a Facebook post that he was relieved for cause because he posted a video Thursday saying military leadership led service members down during a bungled Afghanistan withdrawal. His video post came after a terrorist attack at uh, Karzai International Airport on Thursday that killed 13 U.S. service members, including someone with whom Schiller had a close relationship. I've been relieved for cause based on a lack of trust and confidence, Schiller wrote. In his Thursday video post, Schiller said the military leadership should take responsibility for the situation in Afghanistan. Reason people are so upset on social media right now is because the Marine on this battlefield let someone down. That service member always rose to the occasion and done extraordinary things, Schiller said. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down and none of them are raising their hands and accepting account accountability or saying, We messed this up. The scathing public rebuke is a sign of the growing anger among U.S. service members over the pullout an evacuation effort, which led to the Taliban takeover of the country, left departing Americans vulnerable to deadly terrorist attacks and stranded thousands of uh, Afghan family uh, militaries as, uh, as well. 
I want to say that this very strongly. I've been fighting for 17 years. I'm willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability, said Schiller. On August the 18th, David, uh, General David Berger, commanded of the Marine Corps, issued a public letter in an attempt to reassure Marines who are venting their frustration on social media, telling them that their service was meaningful, powerful, and important. Schiller said the letter missed the point and failed to address the actual concerns of his fellow Marines. He argued that withdrawal was a major policy failure from the highest levels of military leadership, calling out Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I'm not saying we're going to be in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did anyone throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, a strategic airbase, before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think of that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed up, asked Schiller? Brave young man. By the way, uh, Eric Prince is the head of founder of uh, Blackwater. He said if he loses his job, he's going to end up with a better job uh, with me. And uh, I hope uh, others will stand up and voice their concerns about what will happen because we should see resignations from uh, these top generals. They did an awful job. And from <laughs> President Joe Biden. He obviously was the one who's fully responsible for everything that happened. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I'll help you visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's an author of several books, mainly about past presidents. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. 
Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, of course, uh, the big story right now is Afghanistan, and uh, so tragic, so sad about what's going on. Maybe I'd love to get your thoughts. It's a hard one. As you know, we've been discussing this now for months, and I've always been divided about what we should do and not do in terms of Afghanistan going back to the Trump decision. Um, and uh, look, it's it's tragic. Um, obviously, a lot of mistakes were made. Um, the agreement that was with the with the Taliban was obviously very flawed. Uh, the lack of preparedness for everything to fall apart was obviously something that um, will be a stain on the intelligence community and, to some extent, the Biden administration. Um, all of these things are tragic. Um, they've done a reasonably good job of getting a lot of people out in a relatively quick quick order. It took a few days to get this thing organized, but once they did, they did what only the U.S. military is able to do, which is massive amount of, uh, of planes and operations in, in a relatively short period of time. The tragedy of the 13 Marines is a tragedy. I won't say they died in vain because they died to let 110,000 people get out of, out of the country. Um, but it's a tragedy just the same, that, that they should die, obviously. Um, look, um, you know, it's like you listen to both sides of this argument, and it, it's very problematic. You hear President Biden saying um, that, you know, if it hadn't been for Osama bin Laden, we would never have been in Afghanistan, so why should we remain in Afghanistan? And we saw President Trump pulling out of Afghanistan willy-nilly. It didn't make a difference what to be out by last May. Um, and on one hand, I can really understand that. After 20 years, it's a long time. On the other hand, I have one problem, flawed problem, with, uh, with the whole logic here. The reality is, if we had never gone to Afghanistan, we probably should never have gone to Afghanistan. But we had gone, and we did change that country. And we did provide rights for women for the first time and created a generation that didn't know what the Taliban was. And, you know, there's six million people live in Kabul alone, a relatively modern city at this point, certainly the young people. And, you know, all that's going to be taken away from them. So the question always becomes what's our moral responsibility? Uh, we can't change the whole world, that's obvious. We can't, you know, send soldiers in every time women are oppressed because there are an awful lot of the world that the women are oppressed. But on the other hand, this is a place where we change the society once. Did we have a responsibility to maintain that change once we had already done it? It's not like we've never, we didn't start the process. We started the process, we made it happen, and now we're walking away from the process. And therein lies, you know, I think, a, a real problem. And we're, we're, I think we're walking away from the responsibility we actually had. Um, but it's a close call. It's difficult any way you look at it. Yeah, it certainly is. And nothing says that, in fact, any change like that would have been permanent, uh, inevitably permanent. Well, no, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, as long as we kept our troops there in Kabul and in the, in the urban centers, it would, have been per- it would have been permanent. Yeah. Women would continue to have rights. Uh, a generation would have grown up uh, thinking very differently about the West and about human rights and about all those things. They had grown up that way. There's a whole generation that don't know the Taliban. Young people grew up going to, you know, the American University of Kabul, and uh, it would have remained different, and it would have remained that way, but it would have only remained that way if we're willing to fight for it to remain that way, and therein lies the nub, you know, what, where is our responsibility? And uh, again, I would argue that we probably never should have begun this venture, um, but once you begin something, do you have the right to walk away from it, because the going has gotten tough? Mm-hmm. And therein lies the question, right? In other mm-hmm. words, it's not like a decision was made, well, should we do nation-building in, in Afghanistan? Should we ensure that women have rights or not? Well, we decided to do that 20 years ago. But now we're walking away because, hey, it was tough. It's tough work. We can't really afford it. It's too much time, too much money, too many people's lives at risk. Again, it's a decision you, know, you can make, and I'm not arguing with people who have t- taken the other side of it, but I do think there really is that other side, and that we we are morally flawed to some extent by not willing to pay that price. So I I just look at the military objective, which of course was to contain Al Qaeda, Taliban, and ISIS, and now it appears to me that that's this is now a formula for creating a terrorist state for all three of these organizations. And of course, I understand my understanding is they don't necessarily get along. But they certainly are uh, have their own missions in order to destroy society. Quite frankly, 
Right, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, these are all very bad people. We can, it's degrees of badness, let's put it that way. Yeah. It's hard, hard to say that the Taliban is on the better side of this scholar, but it is. Um, but uh, the reality is they're all bad, and they all don't wish us well. Um, and by pulling out, this is what we're left with. But, you know, that decision was made um, two years ago, and uh, it's a decision that uh, probably the only decision that President Trump made that President Biden agrees with in the, in the theoretical sense. And so he went along with it. And I understand that to a very large extent. But I think we just need to understand there's a price to be paid both in what you just described and a moral price to be paid for those people who we had promised either implicitly or directly, a better life and a better uh, a better type of living, and now we're leaving them to the hands of the Taliban. And, yeah. um, you know, there is a moral price to be paid for, for doing that, for abandoning these people uh, to their fate. So the, um, it also raises the issues whether, in fact, this ends our uh, uh, service or our, our time in Afghanistan or whether it's just beginning. Look, this is the end for the moment. Where we'll be in the future, you know, who knows? Um, there is, there's a truth in what um, Biden says, that the terrorism is from different parts of the world and not necessarily only from Afghanistan. Uh, but clearly, we'd have to be worried that what will be in Afghanistan, we have to worry about Pakistan. Pakistan clearly had a very large role in this. Um, so, look... Um, it's a bad world out there. What can I tell you all for overall? Yeah, uh, just come back to my my. Uh, <laughs> the one thing that I believe is the country, the world, the globe is run by thugs and punks for the most part. There are some statesmen, unfortunately, too few, and uh, this is what we get. Unfortunately, when people are have this avaricious desire for power and and uh, glory as opposed to what's good for the common good. No, absolutely. I mean, certainly, look. I think most democracies, um, their leaders more or less have the common good in mind. More or less. I mean, there are exceptions, obviously. But in the rest of the world where there's no democracy, clearly leaders are out for themselves more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and, and those who believe, of course, in the theocratic leaders, whether it's Iran or now the Taliban, are out for the, their glory of what they perceive as God. Well, in fact, you just take a look at a country like Australia, my goodness, look what's happening there, and all of a sudden, I mean, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, I'm sure. Uh, the authorities there have the best of intentions for their people, but look at the martial law and the the lack of liberty and freedom for people to be able to make their own decisions. It's just appalling. You know, you could make that argument, but I don't think most Australians would, ag- would, would agree with you that their liberty is being so impinged for a period of time because of corona. Um I mean, it's an argument, but I, I think that um, almost every poll has shown that people are willing to give up certain rights in, in fighting a pandemic. Now, whether, whether it works and whether it's worth it, that's a whole other argument. But mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't go in, in that direction. I think that's an extreme. I mean, I would, stick with the, I would stick with the autocratic countries that are really autocracies and where the people can't be voted out. Well, Let's keep that in mind. If the Australian people are not happy with their current government because of what they're doing, there'll be elections, and they can be voted out of office. Well, I guess my um, point my point is that we're only one, as uh, Ronald Reagan said, we're only one generation away from uh, communism or autocracy or whatever it might be, but uh, the point is they can erode quickly and uh, for any reason. No, that's for sure. Yeah. Liberty is something that can never be taken for granted. Absolutely, Mark. So, uh, where do we go from here? What do you, th- with regard to, uh, uh, I mean, to me, this has been a stain on uh, on America. Uh, the reputation of uh, the United States right now, I think, is really being questioned by uh, our allies and uh, people around the world. I think it empowers China as they begin to think about Taiwan. I think there's real serious implications for all this. Look, there could be, but let's keep in mind the fact that the fact the United States was leaving has been clear for two years. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new in what happened. How it came about in the rapid collapse of, of the Afghanistan government it was an intelligence failure, but it was, not an, it was not a failure in the sense of the United States, other than probably the agreement that was signed with the Taliban that undermined the Afghani government. There might have been a chance if it had been a different agreement, if they had been part of the negotiations. Don't forget, the Afghani government was completely excluded from negotiations between the Trump administration and the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Who does things on something like that? The, 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 the elected government of the country that you're theoretically you're allied with 
does not get a seat at the table negotiating with your enemy. Mm. That's what happened. So, you know, in those senses, those are things more than anything else, I think, that undermine the United States and, and our values. The withdrawal, nothing is ever going to look nice, let's put it that way. And I, I do think that the reality is, um, look, an awful lot, you know, in the first few days, people said, how can we possibly get 40,000 people out? I think when the numbers are finalized and tallied, we'll be at 120,000. Yeah. Um, so that's not a bad number, and there was reasonably good cooperation between the United States and between all of its NATO allies all participated in this. So I, I don't think in that sense, I think we may be overblowing, uh, because whatever, um, whatever devaluation of the United States, maybe the, into the television networks or whatever has been devalued in, in the scenes, but I think whether it's China or Russia, etc., they made their own calculations from the minute that the Trump administration announced that we're going out, getting out, and we signed an agreement with the Taliban. Yeah. That was the, that was the geopolitical moment. Everything else has all been a question of of optics and terrible optics. Don't get me wrong, but um, it was optics altogether. So, do you think and do you think uh, all U.S. citizens will be out of uh, Afghanistan? I, I listen. Are there going to be there'll be a hundred that might be stranded? There might be, but I you know listen. Part of it's on them. A lot of them didn't want to leave until the very, very, very last moment. There's a limit to what you can do um, and to get everybody who's not willing. To, you know, they could have gotten gone to the airport a week ago. Yeah. My they understanding didn't. is they, that for they, whatever reason, whatever business reasons or whatever, whatever reasons, they didn't leave until now. So I, I can't say that every single one of them is going to be gotten out because uh, there will be stragglers. There always are. So my understanding um, is that uh, the uh, Biden and the head of the Taliban had a, a discussion about uh, how much authority the U.S. government would take, and uh, basically Trump or uh, uh, Biden said, "Go ahead and take the city. We'll just be concerned about the airport." In other words, the Taliban. Well, look, that the, the clearly happened in a, in a moment, in a matter of moments. It wasn't something that was there was no long policy decisions. The commander of CENTCOM made that agreement uh, on the spot. But let's keep something in mind. The Taliban offered the United States to control the city of Kabul. It took six. We had to fly in uh, six thousand troops in order to in order to secure the airport. How many troops would have taken to secure the city of Kabul? Of six million. Just remind you that the New York City Police Department is close to forty thousand people. Mm-hmm. So, was the, were we supposed to fly in another thirty thousand, forty thousand troops in order to secure the city of Kabul? I don't I think, know. I think that would have been a better. Al- I think it would have been a better alternative. Maybe I don't know, but literally, we would have had to fly in thirty to forty thousand troops, and then how are we going to get them out? Yeah. And how long would this go? It's not again. Uh, it's difficult. Like everything else about Afghanistan is difficult. Um, but I don't think there are any easy binary. You know, in retrospect, we can think of different sort of things. But the reality is, look, for better or for worse. The, the Taliban, by and large, kept their agreement. They let the airport, made, you know, operate without a problem, and they more or less let people get to the airport. I mean, obviously, there were problems, and I'm sure we'll have the various stories of things that took place. But 130,000 people, 120,000 people, didn't get there by you know magic. They all got to the airport somehow. Yeah. Well, that's uh, so, there's a lot of unknowns right now. We'll be able to summarize some of this uh, a little bit more clearly uh, in future weeks. But uh, let's move on to Iran and what's going on there. Okay, so Iran, look, um, Iran, is there's two parts to Iran. One is, of course, they're having the worst COVID uh, crisis of, of all time there at the moment. The Delta variant is really hitting them very hard. The other side of it is the nuclear agreement. Um, Israeli Prime Minister Bennett was in the United States meeting with President Biden um, met on Friday, and uh, President Biden said he, the Iran will never have a nu- will never get uh, nuclear weapons. On the other hand, the Israeli Defense Minister said that it's only two months they're two months away from having enough fissionable material for a bomb, not necessarily having a bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, they since J- the JCOPA agreement was was ended by the United States and walked away, Iran is now closer than it's ever been to having a bomb. And the question is, what can we done about, be done about it right now? Um, the Biden administration was trying to return to the JCOPA, figuring that it was the best of the worst op- op- options. But the Iranians seem no, no real interest right now in returning to it. So the only thing that's left really is additional covert activity by probably by Israel with the support of the United States. Um, no one's going to go to war at the moment, I don't think, to stop the Iranians. And walking away from the JCOPA in retrospect turned out to be a disaster. Yeah. 
Could be some more surprise you know, and uh, explosions and uh, worms <laughs> and things happening. Lots of, lots of different things can take place, and I'm sure Israel has many things planned, and I'm sure if done together with the United States, it can be even more effective, but it can slow things down. Can it stop it completely? I don't know. Yeah. It seems that North Korea has its own nuclear aspirations as well. Yes, that's another great success of the Trump administration. Um, first of all, they already have the bomb. Let's be honest. They, they have the bomb. They have multiple bombs. Since, I don't know, when, I don't even remember what year, what year did President Trump meet with uh, Kim? And in 2018, I think it was. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm not sure if I'm correct or not. I think so. But whenever that was, absolutely nothing happened except the North Koreans have continued to, to, to build bombs. And now they're restarting their plutonium plant. Um, you know, what am I going to say? We, American presidents, uh, going back to President, I guess it's Clinton, Clinton, um, excuse me, going to President Bush, Bush the father, Bush the father, Clinton, um, Bush the son, Obama, and Trump, and Biden at this point has very little he could do, all failed to stop the Koreans, North Koreans, from getting the bomb. They have the bomb. Um. How we deal with that in the future, I don't know. Uh, it certainly makes things much more difficult, and it's a, a failure of American diplomacy and how we want to call it from a series of presidents. You, you know, can't put that on any one president, but every single one of them brought their own failure to the table. I'm afraid. But can North Korea survive? I mean, my, my goodness. First of all, the the, uh, the problems with Kim Jong Un, and he apparently has some serious health problems, and uh, what's happening in the economy there. Look, we've been talking about that for how many years? I, I mean, know. can North Korea survive? I mean, you know, since we were kids, basically, really. I mean, yeah. since the end of the Korean War, but somehow they, they've managed. You know, it's the same thing with the Iranians. We think the regime is going to collapse any day, but it doesn't. North Korea is going to collapse any day, but it keeps on going. So, and I'm sure the Chinese help it, because the Chinese like the idea of having a buffer between South Korea, an economically successful country, and, and themselves. So, uh, I don't see them collapsing. It'd be great. It's a great hope that they would collapse, but I think it's more than anything else just hope. Yeah. The reality is, North Korea has the bomb, and Iran may get one soon. And none of this is good. And all of this reflects the failures of repeated American administrations. And of course, you, you um, have to re- uh, remember that uh, Pakistan, of course, is a nuclear power as well, funding uh, so the Taliban for the most part uh, during these last twenty years. So uh, again, we have a. I guess a, the bigger question here is, what does all this do to the world order? Well, we look at it from two different perspectives, right? Yes, Pakistan and India both have the bomb. Uh, we thought that was bad when they got it. Uh, the problem really comes down to one thing more than anything else. One is the whole issue of nuclear proliferation. Why are we so against so many states having the bomb? The reality is the bomb, as we know, is so catastrophic that, you know, at least the United States and, and Russia, maybe even a few other countries, and have enough bombs to, to eliminate life on Earth as we know it. Um, so the reality is that the fear is the more countries have it, the greater the chance that mistakes might take place. Right. The only time the U.S. and the Soviet Union came really close was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, but cool heads prevailed, and we didn't end up in a nuclear confrontation. So, Mark, I mean, do we know we're not going to end up with one between India and, pa- and Pakistan? Uh, do we know that Iran won't try to attempt to, a- to attack Israel with a nuclear weapon? We don't know these things. Well, you know, my my concern not. is that a, theolog- uh, the- uh, a theological or state or... Uh, what am I trying to say? Point is that uh, they they tend to this eschatological uh, point of view that they have about uh, the end of the world and uh, the coming of Allah and all, all these types of things. It just concerns me that it plays right into their theology and how they see the oh, world. Oh, absolutely! It's a, it's a, it's a real problem. I mean, look, Israel has a three-layer missile defense system against an Iranian uh, missile. Mm-hmm. My contention has always been that while no missile system is 100%, there is a chance, whether it's 5% or 10%, that a missile could get through, that from the Iranian perspective, if they're at all logical, even if they think it's worth, let, you know, it's worth getting a second strike from Israel and having Iran destroyed to theologically destroy Israel, uh, the worst-case outcome for them is for them to fire missiles at Israel, to have them all intercepted, 
and then for Israel to use its second strike, at this point it will almost be first strike, but using its capability to respond with the nuclear attack against Iran, where they won't have succeeded in doing anything, and Israel will uh, make them pay a heavy price. Mm. That's an outcome that I don't think they're willing to take. Mm. And so my hope is that although they would happily destroy Israel, even if it resulted in destroying half of Iran as a result, they're not willing to have half of Iran destroyed and not accomplish their goal at all. From your lips to God's ear, Mark Shulman, again. uh, (laughs) That's my hope. What can I tell you? (laughs) (laughs) The founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, multimedia website for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you'll check it out. HistoryCentral.com. Mark, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you. Uh, Mark and I don't always see eye to die, but always have, I think, in my opinion, a great conversation. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. I hope you check out the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are an educational organization. People can learn a lot more about us at our website, fee.org. Our focus is on young people whom we uh, hope to educate and inspire in ideas of private property, free enterprise, small government, and personal character. And we do that through not only the website with its commentary and free videos, but also uh, with in-person events uh, whenever possible all over the country. Fee.org, F-E-E.org is the website. And again, I I just truly believe if you have a young person in your life, high school or college age, uh, give them the courtesy of introducing them to the Foundation for Economic Education. They do great work and can have a major positive impact on young people's lives. Larry, you wrote a column on Will Rogers. It is terrific, and I'm so glad that you're focusing on 
a, a great voice of our past. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Yeah, Will Rogers uh, was truly an unforgettable uh, funny man and social commentator. Uh, he was beloved by people of all political persuasions, uh, mainly because he didn't uh, uh, focus his uh, critique of politics and politicians on any one party. He was nonpartisan in that sense. But he was born in 1879 in Oklahoma of Cherokee heritage. He liked to joke that his ancestors did not arrive on the Mayflower, but they met the boat. (laughs) 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 His his life was just as all-American as it gets. Uh, uh, He was um, uh, a man of many careers. He did many things well. He was a stage actor and movie star in some 71 films. He was a cowboy performer who could rope a steer and ride a bucking bronco as well as anybody. Uh, He was a commentator. He wrote some 4,000 newspaper columns. Also an aviator, a humorist, a comedian, a radio broadcaster, and a speechmaker. I understand also a political candidate as well. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This was kind of funny, but... Uh, in um, the year 1928, he ran for president as a member of the anti-bunk party, <laughs> which, of course, he completely made up. And um, he said he was the presidential candidate of that, that party, and that if elected, he would resign. And on Election Day, he declared victory and did as he promised. He resigned. <laughs> 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 Which is great. I mean, so he, he he really cast a humorous light on so much that was important in terms of uh, our lives in America, and he brought humor to it, which is something that's, an art, uh, I think, an art that's been lost. Yes, I, I agree. And, of course, uh, his humor was all the more uh, needed in the 1930s during the Great Depression. We didn't have a lot of things to laugh about, but we certainly had Will Rogers uh, until 1935, uh, when at the age of 55, he was killed in a plane crash in Alaska. A lot of that going on. People don't realize how many people die in those small planes up in Alaska, but uh, age 55, what a sad loss, too, because he contributed so much to our lives. You know, he's, he's had so many interesting and funny quotes. Uh, maybe you could cite us a couple. Okay. One of my favorites is this one. He said, remember, write to your congressman. Even if he can't read, write to him. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And another one was, the papers say that Congress is deadlocked and can't act. I think that's the greatest blessing that could befall this country. (laughs) Absolutely true. (laughs) So uh, many others uh, just like that, usually great humor encapsulated in a single line. He said that, uh, just raid the national treasury enough, and you'll soon be referred to as a statesman. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, the United States Senate opens with a prayer and closes with an investigation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he also said, be thankful we're not getting all the government that we're paying for. And uh, the income tax has made more liars out of the American people than golf. <laughs> yeah, it's great. That's it's so much great here. As I recall, didn't Hal uh, Holbrook used to do uh, a stand-up? It was kind of an hour, hour and a half, two-hour performance uh, featuring Will Rogers. Uh, you know, he might have. I think of him more as uh, doing the same thing on Mark Twain, but uh, he may have done something on Will Rogers, too. Yeah, I don't, re- I don't recall. Probably it's a fantasy of my imagination. I'm probably making it up, but nevertheless, I can imagine him doing just that, you know. So uh, the income tax has made more liars out of the American people than golf has. Oh, yeah, you already said that one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's worth repeating. <laughs> All right, here's here's a here's a final one. Be a politician. No training necessary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one that uh, is more poignant today than even in his time. He said it must be nice to belong to some legislative body and just pick money out of the air. <laughs> yeah. Is it the truth? Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I can't inf- emphasize enough. Introduce young people in your life to the Foundation for Economic Education. Fee.org is the website, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. The first is Follow the Leader, 
and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. One of their initiatives is creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure, Bob. Uh, I want to remind your listeners that that I voted uh, for Biden, and it was like, I think it's the first time in my life I voted for a Democrat, and my reasoning was that I thought senile was better than uh, stable, maniacal genius. So um, so do you still feel that way? Yeah, well, I think Biden, I thought Biden would be a one-term president, and that the Republican Party would manage to produce a, a charismatic younger leader to take uh, the country forward. So I don't feel that way. I don't see uh, uh, anybody producing a, uh, either party producing a charismatic, uh, uh, capable leader, number one. And uh, number two, uh, I I didn't anticipate that uh, Biden's inner circle would be as inept as he is and and cause one catastrophe uh, after the other. So, I I mean, Biden... Is such a clown show that uh, uh, we don't need a program like Saturday Night Live to tell us how inept he is. I mean, he's 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 he's, he's a reminder to us of how good Saturday Night Live used to be. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, you know, on the plus side, uh, there's a front page story in the Wall Street Journal today about a guy from Naples, Florida, huh. uh, named Zach Van Meter. He's some kind of a money manager down there, and he's a former veteran. And uh, Zach and a bunch of other former veterans uh, decided that uh, they had to help rescue uh, American allies in Afghanistan and also evacuate an orphanage. And so these guys, um, in in a matter of uh, a couple of weeks, orchestrated an international evacuation. I mean, it, they, they got the uh, cooperation of uh, 
Arab countries. They got the cooperation of uh, Somaliland. It's just an incredible story about how capable uh, a lot of Americans are. And, and you know, and, and when I talk about neither party producing capable leaders, you know, right in front of our faces uh, on our streets, are, uh, these guys were all former veterans too, are very capable, energetic, uh, loyal Americans that, that I hope uh, rise uh, and, and enter politics at some point. It, 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 uh, uh, it lessens my despair at the uh, political system. You know, uh, that's a, it is a touching story. I had not heard that, so I'm really appreciative that you're sharing it with us. I'm also aware that Glenn Beck, and you're probably familiar with Glenn Beck, the radio guy, uh, who's now created his own uh, Blaze, theblaze.com, I guess it is. Anyhow, uh, he's uh, had commercial airlines or, or, or got some airlines, to, uh, he got some planes to go over, and I think they, they ended up on Qatar or one of those places. He's attempting to rescue Christians out of Afghanistan. Apparently, he's being blocked by the State Department, if you can believe that. Well, I can believe that because that's politics. I mean, um, you know, uh, the Democrats, if you, if you read the editorial page of the Washington Post, they're close to despair. I mean, the Washington Post today is even criticizing the uh, Democratic Party's uh, $3 trillion spending plan as being disorganized and untargeted. So, so a, th- a common theme is this administration is pure chaos. And, and so uh, to try to recover their reputation, uh, the administration is, is desperate for photo ops. And you know Biden can't even execute a photo op. He, he, he met the fallen Marines and, and soldiers and sailors at Dover Air Base, the caskets, and he, he gets caught on camera looking at his watch. I mean, uh, you know, talk about a faux pas. Of, uh, uh, and how you know, disrespectful, how disrespectful it is to the fallen that uh, he would look at his watch. I mean, they're going to, they're now, their uh, claim is to eternity right now, and he's looking at his watch, probably nap time or something like that. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I can see the, uh, the the advertisements during the midterm. I mean, that will be repeated uh, in an endless uh, loop. You know, I also remember that at the height of the crisis, he was planning to go to his new seashore house in Delaware. So it shows you uh, where his mindset is. Yeah. He's, he's not really... He's in office, but he, his, his heart is not in, in office. So... so um, uh, and, and this has ramifications. I, th- I think one early canary in the coal mine is uh, how close the recall election in California on September 14th is. You know, Gavin Newsom, it's, it's going to be very difficult for Republicans to mount a successful recall. I mean, I mean, but they've really shaken up uh, the, the, the state's Democratic establishment. And even if Newsom survives, uh, It'll be by a hair. Yeah, and that's like that's a canary in the coal mine for the for the Democratic Party going forward. That's so interesting. I mean, I I I, I get the sense that uh, his popularity is, popularity is waning, not growing, and they're having real difficulty propping him up uh, right now. I'm talking about Newsom. Uh, the talk show Larry Elder re- is running against him. Apparently, he's garnering some popularity there in California. Yeah, from what I understand, it's a very complicated uh, procedure. Uh, from what I understand, uh, Newsom's popularity has to fall to something like 50.1%, and he's at 50.5%. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the difference, you know, it sounds like a, like a minute difference, but apparently at this stage, it's steep. Um, however, um, you know, people in California are extremely angry uh, at the uh, his handling of the uh, coronavirus uh, situation, his clampdown on, on religious freedom and individual freedoms. Uh, and I'm sure there are other reasons that we don't read about in the press, high taxes, uh, the uh, management of the forest, you name it. I mean, California is in crisis. So, so uh, again, I think... Um, Continual brownouts. Politi- yeah, brownouts. If you're into politics, September 14th is a really fun date uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, that recall, again, 
is a bellwether for the Democratic Party. How long will it take to count the votes? How, when, when will we know what's happened? Oh, oh man, I can't answer that. Yeah. I cannot answer that, but I'm sure I'm sure that it will be uh, uh, steeped in controversy. So, um, the, it's, it's, right now, the the rumors that are swirling around have to do with corruption and whether the uh, the uh, there's going to be uh, uh, malfeasance in the election process. Uh, yeah, we're going to have that for every every election going forward. So I, you know, I. I think fundamentally it, it, it will be fair. It, it takes a, 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 a criminal mastermind and, and, and a, a capable organization to execute massive voter fraud. And, and frankly, I mean, uh, I guess one positive for the Democrats is that Biden has showed that they're so disorganized and so uh, unable to plan ahead that uh, it's unlikely that they would be able to pull off uh, such a massive fraud. Um, the... Um, Oh, the other thing is uh, Biden, again, his people will be desperate for photo ops. So I predict that they're going to send him to Bourbon Street in New Orleans after Hurricane Ida. And I predict that that he'll make a complete fool of himself in in the streets of New Orleans as well. Uh, So, um, you know, it's just a... uh, it's just an impossible task for the Democrats to try to redeem his reputation. He's... he's, uh, you know, the punchline of going forward is Biden to the rescue, you know, every time we have a disaster. You know, uh, Clayton Spann uh, wrote uh, a, a piece in The American Thinker. It's called Why Joe Biden Can't Resign or Be Removed or Die. It's such an interesting piece. I don't know if you saw it, but basically points out that if, in fact, Joe Biden, uh, if they evoke the 25th Amendment or he resigns, that uh, nobody replaces the vice president. Uh, the vice president simply moves up, becomes the president, which removes that 51st vote from the Senate. So uh, the, the the story being, hey, we've got to keep Biden in office at all means. And so the the story goes that if, in fact, he dies or something happens like that, they'll just keep <laughs> say that he's just concerned about, uh, you know, being assassinated or something like that. Just keep him under wraps <laughs> and keep the whole thing going. Unbelievable. I didn't see that, but that's fascinating because, again, uh, the Washington Post, I read it to see what's going on in the left. And they're urging the the Democrats to take advantage of a rare uh, situation in in political history where where they have enough of a... uh, a lead in Congress that they can ram through legislation. And, and so the Post is urging them to ram through the $3 trillion spending plan without Repu- Republican support, uh, but also urging them to write a sensible bill. The, the Post argues that the bill right now is just th- throwing masses of, of money uh, out the window without any uh, clear plan, you know, uh, without a good plan for spending it. So, uh, so to your point, uh, do need Biden to continue in office to be able to, to ram that program uh, down the throats of uh, Republicans in Congress? Yeah, I, I just hope it does not succeed. We'll, we'll, of course, find that out. Apparently, Nancy Pelosi is planning to bring that to a vote sometime. And as did she say October? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, so so, so uh, it's uh, you know it could happen. Um, it could, it, of course, it could be reversed. Uh, you know, the midterm is why the midterms are just so important uh, going forward. And uh, the Democrats are claiming that uh, Afghanistan will be a distant memory by the time the the uh, midterms occur, and that this this fiasco will have no long. Uh, no long-term impact. I have the, uh, I have my doubts record. about that, Jim. Jim McTague, again, uh, the two great books that he wrote, uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I hope you get a copy. They're just great reads uh, located in Washington, D.C. Jim, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, and I, I beg forgiveness for voting for Biden. <laughs> forgiven. In fact, you, you are forgiven. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have great guests lined up for tomorrow, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be joining us. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and my wife Linda will be with us, the author of Greetings from Paradise. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. 
much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>